0: Welcome to Hard Mode. This startup caper is hard work. The startup founder reality is problem solving at its most extreme. A series of U-turns, struggles, setbacks, and adjustments on the path to creating tech-enabled businesses that customers and users love. Join us on this storytelling series with a roll call of technology company founders, investors, operators, and outliers as they share anecdotes
1: of the journey towards sustainable growth hosted and curated by the team at Tractor Ventures. Welcome to
0: Hard Mode. Hard Mode.
1: Hard Mode. Welcome to this episode of Hard Mode featuring Telisium founder, Tony Brennan. Telisium are reimagining global health education by providing a global focused training platform that enables health employers and professionals to access thousands of health courses to upskill and stay current. During the conversation, Tony dives into his unbelievable career journey and unpacks the motivations behind running this social impact business. This episode is hosted by Tractor Ventures entrepreneur in residence, Noga Edelstein. Enjoy.
0: Tony, welcome to Hard Mode.
1: Thanks, Noga. Great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, Tony, tell us about Telisium.
1: Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> we started in 2015. And uh, I uh, am a solo founder, and really set about to educate the future of the global health workforce. That's really what we're about. So, we, in a nutshell, provide what I consider the most comprehensive plug and play solution to deliver scalable health education with with impact, and and uh, we provide a big marketplace of of online learning content. We have more than six thousand on-demand, self-paced, micro-skills courses and professional certificates from some of the world's leading experts in health and medical education. And we uh, provide career pathways for uneducated uh, women in Africa to help get them out of of poverty, uh, among other things. So that's kind of us in a nutshell.
0: Uh, That's an incredible organisation and there's a lot to unpack there. How did you discover this gap in
1: the market? Well, before uh, before I started Telisium, I was actually running a medical company in Afghanistan in the Middle East. I was living in Dubai and I'd moved over there to take on the role as a CEO of a, of a medical company that at the time was uh, operating a small business in Afghanistan. And then I grew that over the next couple of years to expand it across Afghanistan Uh, the US, Africa and doing some large-scale projects with governments around the world and uh, as a CEO of a health company, I just saw, I had some headaches myself around. I had had more than 150 staff, doctors, dentists, paramedics, nurses from all around the world and it was really hard to find, uh, you know, a way to easily, conveniently provide them with opportunities to improve their professional development, their skills development remotely and online. So I, it was just a huge challenge for me as a CEO. So I thought there had to be something easier. There had to be a better way. Uh, and I also found we are doing some projects in Sudan where we took a number of uh, people from about seven different villages in a particular region. And these people had historically been trying to kill each other and put them through a five-day community health course where it was translated uh, three different times to get the information to the to the students and at the end of the course you know these people left uh, as friends you know they went home to their villages and, right. and they were friends so it just really struck me the power of education and you know we just see globally so much money being thrown at at projects and initiatives around the world and post-conflict resolution and trying to have an impact, and so much gets wasted. And I just saw in this one small example how really focusing on grassroots education uh, in a way that makes an impact can make a difference. So I came back to Australia and started to, I hate using the word, but just reimagine how this could be done differently. And that's, and that's that's what led to the start of Tulisium. Wow,
0: that's incredible. I have shivers listening to that story, Tony. You know, it's to see that problem and then try and solve that is really, you know, it takes a lot of uh, courage and skill. And you've got such an incredible um, history yourself. Can you just tell us a little bit about... What you kind of did before Tulysium Because I think you were a doctor and a lawyer, and you were in the army, and you know all these things got you to, to the point where you are now able to, you know, solve these global issues.
1: Sure, yeah. So I, um, at the beginning, I, look, I failed school. I was one of these students who really, <laughs> I was, I was, I was not good. In fact, one of my report cards I still carry around with me says that if Tony really tries, he might be able to get a D in the subject. <laughs> so that's motivation for you. So I, I you know, I scraped through and, and just left at the end of year twelve, uh, barely, and went into the went into the army and ended up doing severe trauma medicine uh, with a parachute surgical team. So spent my days either teaching severe trauma medicine. Um, or working with uh, rescue helicopters, or ambulance paramedics, or in the emergency departments, or operating theatres of uh, of different hospitals. And so I, I did that for a while until I uh, busted my back in a parachuting accident, yeah. and then and then yeah. ended up getting out of out of the army and kind of you know bummed around for a, for a couple of years. I didn't have any real qualifications or or skills that were applicable outside. You know, the military at that time, and you know, I was at a random lunch with someone and talking about life and dreams, and you know, where I was. And I said that, you know, actually, the only subject I did well at in school was legal studies, and that you know, I always wanted to be would have been great to be a lawyer, but just that was not going to happen because I didn't have the the grades and didn't graduate and couldn't get to university. And they told me about some mature age entry channel and pathway to university so I made a phone call that afternoon and they said yes we've got one test happening in two days it's the last one (laughs) for the year do you want to do it and I said yeah why not so I did that and I did quite well anyway ended up getting into study law at uh, University of Queensland where I did that rather quickly did quite well ended up working at Clayton Utes as a Corporate lawyer, banking and finance lawyer, uh, then doing some board positions and sat on a number of boards uh, from government boards through to listed companies and and private companies, some large private companies, and uh, then moved on from being a, a a lawyer in private practice because my ultimate goal was to really get into business. That was where my passion was, and so being a lawyer and working for a big firm was really a way to see how, you know, big organisations work and how they structure things. And so I did that for a while and then ended up doing some teaching uh, for a couple of universities, teaching on MBA programs, business law for the Australian Graduate School of Management, teaching business law, corporate law around Asia, and then became Australia's youngest uh, adjunct law professor a few years out of... uh, out of out of university, and uh, and and then did that for a while until I uh, got uh, asked to go and run a medical company in Afghanistan. So I I took on that challenge, and it was it was it was pretty much on the verge of bankruptcy when I started looking at it. But I believed there was a huge opportunity because the founder was. Uh, Technically, he was quite competent from a medical perspective, but commercially, he had no idea. So I I went over there and and turned that around, and in the second year, we were doing more than $10 million in revenue, and as I said, expanded that to the US and doing projects in Africa and rewrote did a project to rewrite global economic theory on how you take countries out of poverty, and that was... uh, bringing on board the government of Haiti at the time, the Inter-American Development Bank and Harvard Business School were doing a business case on it and, uh, yeah, just doing different projects like that. And then after that, I moved back to Australia and, and started Tulisium. So in a nutshell, that's, that's my life.
0: Wow, that is an incredible story. I hope that you track down that teacher one day, Tony, that told you you might achieve a D and just (laughs) show them what you've achieved because it's incredible. And I think that story also highlights the importance of taking opportunities when they arise the, you know, quick decision you made to take that law school entry exam and to take a job in Afghanistan and to join the paratroopers, yep. you know, these are all things that have led you on on this direction to where you are now.
1: Absolutely.
0: Can I, yeah. Can I ask you a question? So compared to all of these things that you did as, you know, jumping out of planes and, mm. you know, running medical companies in Afghanistan, how does being an entrepreneur compare?
1: Uh, look, I, I see this as, this was the point that I was always working towards. So everything I've done has been leading towards this point. This, it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, other entrepreneurs, I suppose, understand, but it's just, I just, I love it. You know, I live and breathe it and I just, I can't imagine doing, you know, anything else. It's the challenge and the, the, the joy that come from just trying to solve big problems and think of new ways of doing it uh, is 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 fantastic. And look, everything that I've done, I, I loved. I've been really fortunate in that I don't think I've ever had a job where I you know hated getting up in the morning and just didn't mm-hmm. want to didn't want to do it. So I've I've tended to do things that that I found you know passion in and that got me excited. Uh, and this is something that I've been working towards for for a very long time.
0: That's a great lesson, isn't it? Do things that you're passionate about, and you'll never work a day in your life, as they say.
1: It's it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. But it's it's I accept that it's easier said than done, you know. And it's it's scary. It's really scary being an entrepreneur and, and stepping out and taking that leap of faith and backing yourself. And a lot of people, you know. That you know, a bit more conservative and and you know, express concerns and doubts and you know, you just you've got to be resilient and back yourself.
0: A hundred percent. So on that note, I might ask you then, you know, what is really the reality for you of having got to Lyceum to this point? Um, you know, this is hard mode. Tell us about um, some of the challenges you've had to to get to where you are today.
1: Wow. We don't have enough time. <laughs> it's it is it it is it's been hard. It's been really hard, and as a solo founder as well, I suppose it's been it's been extra hard. Uh, it's you know it's just so much hard work, long days, long nights. You really need to be. I've had to be anyway. In a lot of cases, the jack of all trades. So you know, doing everything from you know tech stuff, building websites and integrations through to, you know, marketing and sales and legal and all of those kind of things. So it's it's been uh, challenging. There's been a lot of travel, especially in the early years, pre-COVID, uh, because when I started the business as well, I, rightly or wrongly, I built the business for Uh, a global audience so I built it to be global from day one I didn't want to start a business you know that was focused on Australia and then take it global I wanted to solve problems on a big scale and so that meant a lot of travel it meant a lot of you know dealing with different cultures you know and having to make hard decisions you know and, and turning down big opportunities when they conflicted with, you know, my values. Uh, you know, the number of times I've been in some countries where the, you know, some people, whether they be, you know, some people, you know, uh, are less than scrupulous and, you know, and, and want things on the side and, you no, know, just walk walk away from deals and projects and, and money because that's just not how we do business. And so it, there's been a lot of, a lot of things around, a lot of personal development, you know, a lot of frustrations, and you know, on top of all of that, I've you know, I've got ADHD. I you know, think of myself as probably the, AD, the ADHD CEO. And
0: that goes without saying for most entrepreneurs, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and so, so that's been that's been interesting too. That's been an interesting journey because I've learned a lot about myself and a lot of the challenges I've had. You know. Over the years with Thelissium, uh, are explained by by that. So having an understanding has, has made that a lot easier for me and helped with a lot of things. But yeah, it's it's tough, you know, hiring the wrong people, you know, at the wrong time, and it's a lot of lot of ups and downs. But I wouldn't wouldn't swap it for anything. It's just been an amazing journey and has been just getting started.
0: Yeah, sure is. Um, there's a few questions I want to ask around that, but I'll start with, you know, when you do have those hard times, Tony, how do you overcome them? Like what is, especially as a solo founder, I think it can be hard to pick yourself back up. Have you found, you know, connecting with the network or, um, you know, what what is the way that you get through those difficult times?
1: Uh, it's, I do a lot of uh, self-reflection. And uh, reading and listening to podcasts and and learning, and I find learning and, and trying to work on myself and just pause and reflect really helps. Uh, and I do have some, you know, good friends that are entrepreneurs and in the startup, scale up space that you know I talk to and and share stories, and they've, they've been there, so they understand as well. Mm. So, so having a network of people that you can talk to who really get it makes a makes a big difference and 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 you know close family members and who also are just really there at the end of a long day to to listen and bounce ideas off.
0: yeah, I think that's so important and I you know I think that is something that solo founders do really need to actively think about and plan for because it it is such a hard journey that you're on so having that supports so important. Mm. um can I so can I ask about um the, you know, you, you mentioned going global first, and of course, the vision you outlined for Talisium is really, it, it has an impact lens, if you like, you know, democratizing healthcare education. Um, how have, but but often the reality of needing to make money can <laughs> be a conflict with that, right? It's a challenge. So how have you thought about that? And, and how has that impacted your growth of Talisium?
1: Yeah, good question. And uh, yeah, it, it does in some cases because we really want to have a, a, a make a big social impact. We want to, you know, affect change at a global level. We want to change lives because I really I've seen it, and I really believe that if we can help improve the the skills of one healthcare professional, whether it's a nurse or a dentist or a doctor in a particular part of the world you Know that that has an impact beyond that individual because that's their patients and then the community and, and at a national level. So, you know, it's um, having an impact is really at the core of what we do. And look, we've there can be challenges in finding a way to make that profitable, part of our business that has a huge impact in taking unemployed uneducated women out of poverty uh, in Africa uh, has been extremely successful for us and we came up with a model after a lot of uh, thinking that was unique and and has a huge impact and is and is, is profitable so that's that's a good model for us uh, the other stuff that we do with is we can struggle to 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 find ways to um, to make some projects profitable. But what we try to do is focus on, you know, offsetting that with, with other other clients and other projects. And we're essentially a B2B organisation. So we are always looking at refining our model. And I think we're moving towards, uh, you know, a new way of, of doing things that is going to allow us to, to be, not only profitable but sustainable, and deliver the impact at a global level.
0: And so, how do you prioritise then when you're delivering projects in Africa, in Australia, um, and I know you've got projects all over the world? How how do you decide which you know with your with limited resources, as all startups have, how to allocate your priorities and resources?
1: Yeah, a really good question. And we've actually just spent a bit of time going through a complete internal review and analysis of you know, what we do, where we do it, who we serve, because essentially one of our biggest challenges is that, you know, we found, we found acceptance across multiple segments within the healthcare sector broadly. So what we have appeals to so many different groups and so many different countries. So as you say, it can be a challenge. So what we're doing now is really narrowing our, our focus and we looked at the different market segments within the health sector and the clients that we've got. And we reviewed them all along the lines of, you know, which segment has the highest lifetime value, the best product market fit and the, the shortest sales cycle and identified where we're going to probably spend more of our proactive time focusing on growth and our limited resources to grow. We also have grown a lot through partnerships and so that's been a that's been a part of our model to date without having, you know, sales teams on the ground in so many different countries. So we've had some success with with partnerships and, you know, we've got some really strong ones and we're just about to launch another two in Africa that we've been working on for a while. Um, so, and also I suppose when I started the business, I tried to, when I came out with a model, I was really focused on developing a model that didn't require massive workforce. I wanted to try and think about ways of doing things differently so that we could scale, you know, without having to employ hundreds of staff. So that's probably led to where we are today and and our ability and, you know, maybe the curse of of being in so many different countries. And now we're we're just, as I said, looking at where we focus and, where we allocate our resources. And we're saying no, to we're going to start culling some clients uh, this year that, that don't fit in with our where we're heading and, and focus on growing the existing clients and mm. uh, building out the new bottle, yeah.
0: And that's such a hard thing to do as an entrepreneur, to say no to money.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it, it is essential to focus at the same time. And, you know, you can actually die by having too many opportunities and not enough focus so um, I think that's a really a brave and and a really important thing um, for all startups to to know um, how to how to say no to, to things that are outside of your core focus yeah um, how so tell me about kind of from a funding point of view you have it as we we're saying have an impact lens to the business you've been largely bootstrapped to date like how have you thought about funding the business and obviously you've taken some tractor finance so what led to that decision and and how did that sort of change the trajectory of the business
1: yeah, the, the, the tractor funding has made a huge difference and mostly because of the team that you know that comes with it you know the advice and the network has just been You know, amazing having people to bounce ideas off and just get those 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 insights. Sorry, what was the first part of your question?
0: So it started with you know the business has an impact lens as we mentioned earlier. How did that impact your ability to raise money? Did you start talking to VCs Uh, and encounter any challenges there? Um, And generally, how have you thought about growing from a funding point of view?
1: Yeah, so look, we we had a lot of. Uh, funding conversations with different groups from high net worth individuals through to, you know, VCs. And, you know, it was interesting. So we we found uh, some people loved the social impact side of what we did. And, um, and they usually weren't the VCs. The VCs loved the uh, the, the scalable nature of the online business, the marketplace, the blue chip clients and partners that we've got. But also part of our model to date has been to not have our own tech. So I didn't want to look at investing millions of dollars into building out our own tech until we really had clarity around what the product needed to look like, uh, what the end users needed uh, so that we were, you know, more careful, more focused when spending money on on rolling out and developing a new our own our own tech product. So, so to be honest, the biggest challenge we had in terms of conversations around funding has been the fact that we didn't have our own tech mm-hmm. uh, from VCs. That was a, that was a big uh, deal breaker, uh, and you know we even had VCs say to us, "Look, we will spend money on developing an MVP, and then we'll we'll throw money at you and." you know, very enticing, but I had to say, no, look, we're not there yet. We, I I don't want to throw money at, at developing tech that I'm not 100% sure is exactly what we need right now. So um, so that was, that was a big, big barrier for us. I think going forward, given what we do uh, and some of the things that we're working on at the moment, where we're heading, I don't think VCs are, you know, are for us. I think... The, the groups that we um, have spoken to in the past and I think have shown the most interest and where we will continue to have conversations are around those investors that have a real big social impact focus um, and have a global focus, but probably are also strategically looking at us uh, because we, we do something quite unique. Mm. Uh, and have a have an interesting place in the market yeah, that, that's, that's growing at a significant rate in terms of online education and, you know, skills development training.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good insight. So then let's talk about um, your growth at the moment, Tony. Tell me what's some recent wins for you um, with Telyseum?
1: So, you know, we've had some really good success recently in, in Singapore. We've got some, you know, Great clients over there, National University of Singapore. Uh, we were fortunate to you know, s- secure them as a client at the very beginning of COVID, when uh, travel was just ceasing, and in the two years since, when we've all been, you know, going through COVID, we managed to do five projects with them and got an exciting and uh, very. Promising relationship with them, and we're also doing some exciting stuff with the peak body for medical device manufacturers and medtech in Asia Pacific, out of Singapore. So, so securing those partnerships and clients, and you know, growing them through challenging times, has been a, has been a big win. Uh, and we're also recently had some exciting. Uh, wins in the United States and when I started to listen we had really no intention of doing anything in any of the developed markets to be honest. We didn't really want to do anything in Australia, the UK, Europe the US in particular Uh, but some stuff started to happen for us in the US. We've been getting uh, some feedback and having some meetings over the last 12 months that keep pointing us in that direction and so we're just going through some initial validation of our product and for a particular market group over there and and the initial feedback is really positive and exciting. So could be a game changer. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Have you had, what strikes you as like that pinch me moment for the business or for yourself personally in this journey?
1: Look, it really was, I suppose in there, well, there's been a few in the early days when I was just getting started to, Some of the people that 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 jumped on board and got involved, you know, as directors and advisors, and have been with me ever since. You know, just amazing. I've got, you know, Lee, who's the current head of TikTok in Australia, and you know, he was previously the head of marketing strategy and innovation across Asia Pacific for Google, and you know, Ren, who's been the VP of Growth Labs at PayPal and senior director for global marketing at Twitter, and director Mm -hmm. of marketing for Uber. Um, and then ten years as a Google executive, so you know there's just a few of the people that have really, after a coffee, have gone, yeah, we want to, we want to be involved. We really love what you're doing, and we want to be involved. So that's you know, amazing. Yeah, huge pinch me moments. Just getting that caliber of people on board and backing us.
0: And that, that's incredible. And so tell me, how do you, because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that would love people like that on their team, right? So how do you build those networks, those partnerships? How do you get to have a coffee with the head of TikTok?
1: It was seriously random. So I was in Perth and I got invited by a friend to attend a business lunch. He had a spare ticket and Lee was, was guest speaker and he I don't know how it happened but his seat at the table was opposite mine so he was talking I thought this is brilliant he'll sit down I'll get a chance to talk to him uh, but things dragged on and I actually had to leave to go to a meeting so I didn't get a chance to talk to him and then I I connected with the person who organized the event and said can you put me in touch with Lee and and he said why and I explained and he said I'll let him know and he'll get back to me if he wants to talk and and uh, Lee did at that time, and he was with Google, uh, running Google in Australia at that time. I think here in is, her, he is in Sydney, and I was coming to Sydney, and he said, "Yeah, let's catch up for a coffee." So that was how how that happened. And then, and Lee and Ren started at Google together, and then mm-hmm. went on their, on their different careers. And so I connected with Ren, and same thing, had a coffee with him, and he jumped on board. So it's just been. I don't, you know, it's just been through, and I'm not, a, I'm not really not a networking person, you know, I'm also, I'm also an introvert, so I don't have massive networks, but I suppose I've just been fortunate to connect with some really good people who believe in what we're doing and what I'm doing and are happy to, you know, connect me with some of their friends if, if they think they might be interested
0: well, I think you undersell that, Tony, because I think part of it is your ability to just take opportunities and say yes, even though, you know, as an introvert, you probably didn't want to go to that lunch. You, you got out there and you didn't. <laughs> we force our, have to force ourselves to do these things. And then your passion for what you're doing clearly shines when yeah. you tell the story and people are attracted to that. Um, so, you know, luck is, a, luck is a small part of it, but as they say, we make our own luck. So. <laughs> very true, very true. <laughs> um, and just on that kind of path of networks and partnerships, you've obviously got a very deep background in working, you know, in these th- third world countries and so on. Ha- have those networks been? been um important in the partnerships you've now been able to build for talisium you you mentioned that you're doing a lot of distribution through partnerships or, or how did those come about
1: yeah they we've never actually done any um active marketing you know so we've got to where we are today we i don't think we've spent any money really on on marketing and growing our networks it's just been through contacts uh either from my previous lives or through people reaching out to me through LinkedIn, um, that things have happened. And so, look, my previous experiences in working in those environments has certainly been helpful because I have a better understanding. I have a reasonable understanding of how to do business in more challenging environments. Mm. Uh, And so that's helped me, I suppose, you know, make, you know, make certain decisions, be a bit more mercenary in some things and not get too excited about other opportunities. Uh, And, you know, it is really understand the value of relationships and having, when you find the right partner in, you know, another country, you know, you, you stick with them and you work together and that's one of the things that we've done, we've really... You know, we support each other, we work closely together and, you know, we just value the relationship and, you know, that, that that comes back when, if times get tough and certain challenges pop up, then they, you know, they look out for us and they have our best interest at heart and it's because we have those personal relationships and that means, you know, in the early days, jumping on a plane and flying to the other side of the world and just, to say hello, and you know, just have that personal connection—it means a lot. And mm-hmm. you know, so that's it's one of the one of the challenges in operating at a global level. You know, there's only so much you can, really can do online. A lot of it does need to be face to face just to maintain and establish those relationships.
0: And do you feel that's still the case in this post-COVID, you know, Zoom virtual world?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, I thought long and hard about this and I believe, you know, there's, you can certainly do a lot of things now that previously I would have jumped on a plane straight away to do uh, and we've proven that over the last couple of years with some of our clients. We've been able to grow business and new clients and relationships without having any face-to-face contact. Um, but there there's still challenges that I think really are best dealt with Uh, face-to-face and it was just recently I think last month for the first time I I was able to get back on a plane and go to Singapore and just spend a day with with some people that i would only been seeing online and you just you can't replace that Mm. you know especially in Asia and Africa and more other countries around the world it just makes a difference you get business done and new opportunities come to light when you're actually there on the ground so so I think you still do need to travel. I think you need to be there. And I think companies that think that they can still do everything remotely and online and have their sales meetings and maybe don't go to conferences face-to-face but let's attend it virtually, I, I think, you know, I think that will that will backfire. I think they'll start to lose opportunities and, and market share as the people who actually turn up, you know, get the mm. business.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um So, can I ask? You know, you've been doing this for a little while. What was the moment for you when you kind of knew this was going to work? You were nearing product market fit. You were kind of, hit, you know, this was going to be able to scale.
1: There's been a uh, there's been a lot of small moments. I'd, I'd say, mm. yeah, a lot of small points of validation where. You know, you have meetings. You know, you, you you do things, and you get feedback from people. So we were in. I was in Sri Lanka in Colombo years ago, signing an agreement with the the government of, of Sri Lanka, and had the the senior trade commissioner from the Australian government in India came across to you know witness it and be part of the ceremony. And they pulled me aside and said, "Look, we've we see lots of companies come and go with lots of different business models, and I've got to say that." Yours is probably the only one we think that can work yeah, uh, right. in, in this part of the world. I thought, oh, that's you know, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty good to hear. And then when you have meetings with other, you know, s- senior health professionals and governments, uh, and they just they get excited about what you've got, and they come back and they go, we, you know, we just we love what you've, we love what you got, we love working with you. It's it's really. It's validating, so it's a lot of small points rather than I think one point in time.
0: Yeah, and that that is the story of building a startup, isn't it? It's <laughs> it's really one big bang. It's lots of little moments that all connect together, and I think you know that is also the case with with networks. And as you were mentioning, you know, one coffee meeting after another that that leads to some great introductions. Um, you know, we obviously love working with you here at Tractor. How does that kind of external help um, help you scale and grow?
1: Uh, it, it makes a big difference. You know, the advice I get from the from the team is is invaluable. It's just in the early days because I'm not a I'm not a tech founder. I don't have a tech background. So we had one particular situation where we needed a uh, a solution, uh, a tech solution for our courses and. I started looking at it and worked out to do it the way that I thought it needed to be done it was going to take probably four months and cost many, many thousands of dollars to to convert all these files and, and get this outcome that I needed. And I spoke to the team at Tractor and got some advice and, you know, one of the team said, let me help you out with that. I think I might be able to work something here and... And about thirty minutes later, <laughs> send back a file and go. Here it is. It's all done. Oh wow! <laughs> and that, so that that's that kind of stuff is a game changer. right like it really makes a big difference. And we've got some exciting things coming up in the pipeline around tech and product and you know with our focus and so that you know the ability to draw on that experience is going to be. Is, is invaluable huge difference especially for a solo founder
0: oh, i'm very happy to hear it that's that's really great and um yeah that's that's exactly why we love working with you and and companies like like talisium can you tell me what are some people and businesses that you admire tony when you think about you know success what success looks like who do you think of
1: mm. you know if i was being completely honest i really i just admire anyone who takes the risk to back themselves and start their own business? Mm. It, it it doesn't matter whether they ultimately fail or succeed. In my mind, just the, the courage to like step into the unknown, to back yourself, um, and be an entrepreneur. You know, and if you if you have a small business or you become a unicorn, it, it, it doesn't matter. I, I just I just really admire any every founder. Every founder who takes that leap of faith, you know, is, is a rock star in in my books because, I you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't give you a, like a specific kind of, I mean, there's some great names out there and great founders, but I, I think everyone's, they're all rock stars in my book. Oh,
0: I love that. I think that's so true. No one no one knows how hard it is until they try and having the courage to just quit your day job and, and try something like this I agree that is very worthy of admiration yeah can you tell us what is coming up next for Tulysium, Tony so excited to hear um, what plans you have in the works
1: yeah. So look, as I said before, we've just finished a big analysis and review of of the business and what we're doing, what we have been doing, and our, our clients, and looking at the different verticals. And so I suppose the next twelve months for us is really focused on, in the near term, over the next twelve months, growing our existing client relationships. We've got some exciting opportunities there that we're we're pursuing with uh, with those clients. So I said, we're going to be Getting rid of some clients who are no longer a fit for us, but the biggest difference I think is really focusing on just nailing our niche uh, within a more specific client segment of the health sector. So we've looked at not just the, you know, the total addressable market, but you know, the right now total addressable market, and we're getting really focused. And so I, th- it looks like the next, the future for us is going to be. Uh, some some exciting stuff in the United States. That's, okay. that's shaping up to be quite a quite a big market for us um, over the next few months. We'll just finalise what we're doing. We're also um, you know rolling out some existing partnerships that we've been working on for a while. As I said across some other countries in Africa that are going to be quite exciting. So uh, we've still got that global focus. We've still got that global focus. Um, I think we'll find more of it. Will probably be in the United States. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, and so if our if you um, anyone listening to this podcast can support you in any way, Tony, do you have any asks of um, our hard mode listeners?
1: Wow, good question. Uh, look, at the moment, I'd say we're pretty we're pretty good. I mean, as a, as a startup, you know, you always always need cash and people. <laughs> they, they are the they are the you know the, the biggest uh, inhibitors to to scaling up and to growth at the moment is is having good people uh, you know and and the cash to really go after you know opportunities and bring on the people and, and do the things you want to do. So you know, those are the things that we'll be we'll be looking for I suppose in the, in the very near future. but at the at the moment, I think we're, we're 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 pretty good. Things are very life exciting. Life life is really good and life is really exciting and 2022 is shaping up to be a fantastic year for Tulysium.
0: That's amazing. And what are your next hires? What kind of people are you looking for Tony? Uh,
1: the next one will probably be around sales. So it'll be uh, someone in someone in sales probably probably a, a head of sales or someone who's a real strong hunter that can go out there uh, and help us uh, expand and leverage what we're already doing it'll probably be somebody in the United States I'm guessing okay. yep. yeah someone to once we once we've just finalized our validation of what we're doing in the the, the product for the United States market uh, we've got some some leads on some great people. That would be ideal to really drive that for us uh, across the US. So, so that'll be big, and probably followed by, you know, product and tech people because we are looking at some some opportunities that will require us to probably have our own our own tech.
0: All right. Well, that sounds like definitely some exciting times ahead. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Tony. It's been really fascinating to hear about your backstory and the growth of Tullisium and your mission to uh, help educate the third world and and bring healthcare education um, across the globe. Thank you so much for being on Hard Mode today.
1: My pleasure. It was great to join you. Thanks, Naga. That was Hard Mode with Telissium founder, Tony Brennan. You can find Telissium online at telissium.com. Thanks a lot for joining us. See you with the next episode soon.